Just a quick warning, this episode contains adult language and some descriptions of violence. So if you're listening with children, I just wanted to give you a heads up. You're listening to East Bay Yesterday. This show is about history, but it's not stuck in the past. Let's begin. Let's begin. Hey, look, so it's crazy because this Oakland tattoo, right? When I got shot, the bullet went through right here and came out. So I got this tattoo before I got shot, actually, but this is where, like, the bullet went through, so... Now it's like, my hand tells a whole story. Like, this is, this is Oakland, you feel me? This is what goes on in Oakland. That's Mike. The tattoo he's describing is the word Oakland, next to a silhouette of the Bay Bridge. We met a few weeks ago in a random situation and just started talking. When I told Mike that I interview people for a podcast about East Bay history, he told me that he had some stories to tell. Yeah, Mike. My business Instagram is Magic Mike Customs. My original Instagram is Real Oakland Nigga with an underscore at the end. From Oakland, California, born and raised in the Bay Area. Been in the Bay Area my whole life, 40 years. That business that he mentioned, Magic Mike Customs, it's a shoe painting company. Mike customizes footwear, mostly sneakers, with original designs. When Mike showed up at my place to hang out and talk, he was splattered with all kinds of colors. My sweatshirt looked like a fucking art gallery. <laughs> my sweatshirt and my pants, actually, because, like, when I'm working, I just, like, you know, wipe my hands on it, and it's like my apron, you know what I mean? My clothes is like my apron, so I just wipe my hands on it, or if I got too much paint on the brush, I just, you know, do it. So this is convenient. This is my everyday gear, you know what I mean? So I just wear this when I'm working. His skin is also covered with paint, or tattoo ink, to be more precise. A lot of the tattoos are memorials for loved ones. Okay, my cousin Dre, he got killed in 94. He was 23. My cousin Lump, he got killed in 2004. He was 33. My brother Tay, he got killed in 2010. He was 33. So those, my cousin Dre, my cousin Lump, we was hella close. That affected me. Like, that still affects me to this day. My brother Tay, he got killed. That still affects me to this day. Mike's biggest tribute tattoo is the one for his older brother, Tay. It takes up about half his chest. This one right here is for my brother. It said, rest in peace, Tay. God forgives, I don't. Three bullet hole things from when he got killed. He got hit three times, so I got three bullets right there. So, you know, that's my brother, man. I got him right there. He's high with me forever, man. This tattoo, it's pretty scary looking. There's blood oozing from the bullet holes. Even though it's just ink, it looks painful. But for all of these tragedies that Mike suffered, losing so many friends and relatives on the streets of Oakland, he still loves this town. I got love for the whole Oakland, the whole Bay Area, period. A lot of the time, the voices that you hear talking about violence in Oakland are politicians or police officers. You hear about statistics and programs, but not so much about the people who are most affected by it. Occasionally, but not enough. Usually, it's only when something really horrible happens, like a baby getting shot. That's why I wanted to talk to Mike, because his story is important. If you want to try to understand the recent history of this beautiful, crazy, 
deadly, complicated town. And not just his memories of growing up in Oakland, but also his decision to leave. I was fortunate enough to get my family up out of here. You feel me? I don't want to disclose what city I live sure. in now, but, yeah, no but you know, I still be out here every day, but you know, we got a house now and you know, just got my daughter up out of here. Especially like, you know, the incident, like when I got shot, my daughter was in a car and at the time she was nine years old. After that, I'm like, you know, I can't even have my daughter around this shit. I mean, we was already planning on moving before then. Like I didn't get shot and be like, oh shit, I want to leave Oakland. Like. I'm still in Oakland, you feel me? But when I did get shot, I was like, this is really, you feel me? Like, it's time to get my daughter up out of here because I don't want her to even be in a situation like that again as long as I can help. The location where Mike got shot seven times was only about a mile away from where his daughter went to school. We're going to talk about that incident and a whole lot more on this episode of East Bay Yesterday. I'm your host, Liam O'Donoghue. Stay tuned. My family been in Oakland before I was born. You know what I mean? Like my mom and them, they roots is in Louisiana, but ours is like right here in Oakland. I came up in Oakland, man, in the 80s. You know what I mean? Like the crack era. Mike grew up in West Oakland. Now, the houses in this area can go for a million dollars or more. But in the 1980s, it was one of the poorest neighborhoods in the East Bay. Back in the day, you know, things like government cheese, for example, you know, that was a norm. You feel me? We would go get this big box of government cheese. We would slice it up and then put it on some bread, put it in the oven. And it's crazy because the bread would get toasted before the cheese melt. That was some thick shit. But, you know, back then it was the norm. You know what I mean? Just like you know, walking through Oakland and, and where we went back in the days, like we walked, you feel me? My mom was a walker, rest in peace, but she was a walker. We walked everywhere we went pretty much. We got on the bus, but if it was within a three mile radius, we was probably walking. As a kid, sometimes Mike didn't know where his next meal was coming from. So he got a job as soon as he could to help his family make ends meet. Fifth grade, like I had a paper route, man. Like I've been hustling, man, since I was young. Like I was throwing papers, I'd get up, Four o'clock in the morning, do my paper route, go to school. I was hustling when I was little. Like, I've been doing this shit, man, since I was a little kid. Bringing food to the table when I was a youngster, you feel me? The Loma Prieta earthquake in 1989 was one of the worst disasters the Bay Area's ever seen. And Mike's neighborhood got hit harder than just about anywhere else. The vast majority of fatalities from the quake happened in West Oakland when the Cypress Freeway collapsed. And a lot of houses got seriously damaged, too, including the one Mike was living in. Our house in West Oak and our chimney fell. So it was unsafe. So we moved to Richmond for a minute. And, man, Richmond in the 90s? That shit was many. In other words, it was crazy. Not in a good way. We was out there from, like, 90 to, like, 94. So Richmond, back then, you had North Richmond. You feel me? North Richmond is still a city of its own, little city within the city. So you had these North Richmond kids, was Maney, like, you know, like the Project Trojans, Project Queens, TIQ, Tiny Insane Queen. And then you had, like, Southside Richmond, which you had, like, Easter Hill, Kennedy Manor, 
you know, it was just hella shit out there. And then you had your central side. You had like 4th Street and all that. So them dudes was funking. You feel me? Funking is like feuding with each other. You feel me? So they coming through. Back then, it was a war zone. And we were smack dead in the middle of the war zone. I was living in central Richmond. That's when North Richmond in a spot, I ain't gonna say the name, but a spot in central Richmond was funking heavy. And I was living right there in that area to where we walk into the store, we gotta kinda look over our back to see if these cats from the other side, even though I'm even though we from Oakland, but if they come through and slide or do some shootings, they don't care if I'm from Oakland or if I'm not. You feel me? You 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 a product of, you know, I became a product of my environment, you feel me? But everybody knew everybody that knew me knew we was from Oakland. But if some shit gonna pop off, it don't matter if you're from Oakland or where you from. So, you know, I've been having to look over my back and watch for cars speeding up the street or going slow you feel me it was just like kind of a norm since i was a kid mike had heard plenty of gunshots back when he was a kid in oakland but richmond was the first place where he saw the aftermath of a homicide up close it was a dude from richmond his name was uh soda where he got shot at he got shot in the head and we like walked by you feel me? Walk by the house like the next day. And it, it was still like some of his brain on the ground. Mike had seen Soda around the neighborhood a bunch of times, but he didn't really know him. Unfortunately, it wasn't long before street violence hit somebody that Mike cared about deeply. In 94, my cousin Andre, he got killed. And that fucked me up the most, you feel me? He got killed in North Oakland. I was a young dude, and I'm like, Trey dead? Like, what the fuck? And my cousin... He was the man out here, like in Oakland, like he had the Granada. He had the Candy Apple Green, Kellac back in the day. He had an IROC. You know, this was back. My cousin was 23 when he died, you feel me? So he is out here. He was having it his way, you feel me? Like he was doing what he was doing out here. You know, I was a young dude. I mean, I looked up to my cousin. I was like, you know, he was saucy. He stayed dressed and everything. He was the man, you feel me? He was 23 when he died, but he was, a, he, you know, he was ahead of his time. And that affected me the most. After Dre got killed... Mike's family returned to Oakland. And even though it was a tragedy that brought them back, Mike remembers this era, his teenage years, fondly. That's the Oakland I remember, man. Like, the bad influence click, rap and run, and Dilly Dog, you feel me? Too short, foothills, like, the strip from, I think it was like first out to 105th. It used to just be Oakland, like, going through Oakland music. Like, when I was a young dude, like, East My Mall, uh, MB Mall, like all that shit, man, that shit is different. Like festival at the lakes, man, like, man, everybody come to Oakland. The sideshow started in Oakland, man. The sideshows back in the day, Friday, Saturday nights, you going to the sideshow, you feel me? A lot of this just started at school too, you feel me? Like, I went to McClymouth. Mm -hmm. So from McClymouth, you had people in there from Ghost Town, Lower Bottom, Tufo, Chestnut, Dogtown, all that shit. All, everybody was like in one school and then one classroom. And then you get into it with somebody, like for a fight, like say if you stepped on my new white shoes, didn't say excuse me. Okay, boom. This dude right here is from, say for example, from Dogtown, and the dude you stepped on the shoe from, he from two four. Before that, before you stepped on the shoe, like we didn't have no problems. Now you got these two groups feuding with you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it just starts simple. Like you got these two groups feuding now. Now this spot is feuding with with that spot because all over somebody stepped on your shoe and you didn't say, you know, excuse me or whatever the proper way. Yeah. Now you got 
my cousin, I go home tell my cousins what happened. Like, man, this nigga, whoopie, whoop, whoop. And then he go back, and then you see him. Escalates. And it escalates. You know, it's, it's just small shit like that. Yeah. Some of them have reasons to, like, you know, getting killed. But, you know, it's just, it just be happening like that small little shit, man. Beyond the immediate impacts of these feuds, there's a lot of other repercussions. Mike mentioned student athletes as an example of how neighborhood violence can really hurt academic achievement. You gotta think about it. So, say like, if you go to McClymouth High School, a lot of the students that's trying to play sports, like they can't even maintain that 2.0, you know, to even play sports. You feel me? Are they struggling and stressed out to get that 2.0? Not because they dumb. It's because they got so much other shit going on when they get home. And, like, they cousin might have got killed, and they be, like, stressed out about that shit, you feel me? Go home, you don't really know where you're going to stay. So that affects your studying, you feel me? Mm -hmm. Versus the kid from De La Salle. De La Salle is a private Catholic school in the suburb of Concord. They're known for having a strong football program. You know, De La Salle students, they, they you know, they, they got a good program because all they got to worry about is to play sports, you feel me? Like, they don't have to worry about, I mean, everybody lose family members for whatever reason, but they don't really have to worry about, my cousin just got killed, my brother just got killed, you feel me? It's a less chance of that happening, so they can just focus on basketball, football, or whatever sport they playing, you know, versus like out here, it's just a lot of distractions. And it's not just distractions, it's anxiety. The knowledge of knowing that you could be the next victim, even if you're just chilling on your own block. After Mike's cousin Andre got shot, Mike and his brother Tay would pay tribute to his memory by hanging out and having a few drinks on the corner where he died every year. They did this on Dre's birthday, March 9th. That's what they were planning to do on March 9th, 2010, when another horrible tragedy struck. My brother had picked me up from work. We went in the house. We was in the house for like, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And, um... It was like a gloomy day, and um, so we about to, like, a car drove by. They looked, and one of the cats that was out there, he said something, and I was like, you know, and I commented to that, like, you know, whoop, whoop. So, you know, I didn't really think nothing of it, so the car leave and go. And then, like, I was in the house, because the porch, like, kind of sit back. So I was in the house getting my hood, because we about to go to the store. So um, I, like, put on my hood, and being, you know, opened it. As soon as I opened the door, it sounded like somebody lit off a brick of firecracker. Blah, 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 blah. So the cats went around the corner. They came back. They jumped out shooting. We was on the porch. So my brother, he was like down, like down the porch, like by the fence. When the cats came back shooting, he got hit in the hip. And then he turned and tried to run. He got hit two times in the back. I hear, the, I hear the shots like, blah, 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 blah. So I like dug down. I like go back in and go through the kitchen. My cousin, other cousin come out. He was like, Tay hit. I'm like, what? So basically the ambulance came. They cut his clothes off the normal shit, took him to the hospital. We all get up to Highland and then he had died. So it was just a hell of ironic that my brother got killed. At almost the same spot where my cousin got killed on the block on his birthday. Mike doesn't know why his brother got shot to death. I don't know nothing. I don't know. No, I don't know. They. I mean, you know, they. You know, cats come through shooting all the time. You know, we've been out there nighttime, plenty of nights when cats come through shooting, and 
you know, that's just how it be. You feel me? We we know the risk, but we just, you know, hang. I don't really be hanging out no more because you know it's just like you get older and you like that shit is just like whack. But I mean, you know, I don't know who, you know, I don't know who did it. Like, you know, I, you know, I don't know nothing. When the police came around trying to ask questions about his brother's murder, Mike avoided them. I asked Mike if he thinks OPD might be able to help stop the violence that's been going on in Oakland for decades now. He doesn't think so. OPD? OPD get a paycheck. I mean, are they trying to help? Some of them, yeah. I mean, are they crooked? Some of them, yeah. I mean, is it some good cops? Yes, it is some good cops. I mean, some officers help. Some people, some officers here for a check and some officers here to be assholes. You feel me? I mean, I don't really look into the OPD like that on what they doing. I be seeing this shit on the news, but I'm like, you know, whatever. It's bigger than just OPD. Police ain't gonna stop this shit. Ain't nobody gonna stop this shit. This shit is just like a roller coaster. Once that click, you gotta ride it out now. You you can't get off. And Oakland already had that click. Like when you click down, and the, and the ride start, you got to ride it out. You got to go through the loops. You have to go down the, you know, all this shit. You got to go through the course of the roller coaster. In Oakland, it's nothing that you can do. Once that click and, it, and it's moving, even if you're scared, you got to go through it. started doing customs about 2004 like November 2014 I started off dyeing Timberlands like changing the colors on Timberlands dyeing them and then I just went and bought an airbrush gun and then just you know it ain't been no looking back since Mike started his business about four years ago but he's been putting paint on shoes since way before he launched Magic Mike's Customs when I was a kid, it was some old school felines back in the days. And then when the front part used to peel off, I used to go get my mom's um, fingernail polish. And the little feeler part was red, so I used to, like, fill it back in. But I didn't never think about customizing those shoes. This was, you know, back in the days. But I just wanted my shoes to be cool, so I used to go get my markers and shit. And I used to, like, ride it back in so it could look like it was from the stores. Some guys who do customs will only paint new shoes. But Mike is staying true to his roots. He's happy to brighten up some old kicks. You got an old pair of shoes, I bring it back and, you know, you'll be good. He's also open to anything when it comes to footwear. Whatever the style, the goal is simple. Make the shoes look good. And sometimes his customers need a little guidance. I do the paint splat. I do solid colors. I do multiple colors. Um, You know, I'm kind of open to ideals from my customers, but... Sometimes if it's too outrageous, I'd be like, hold on, man. Like, this is just like boosie, you feel me? Boosie is like a word that's, it's it's like, boosie is something that ain't cool. You know what I mean? It's like, it's boosie. Like, it ain't, it ain't it. You feel me? So I kind of like talk a lot of my customers out of getting certain stuff. Mike really likes the work. Besides the artistic outlet, it helps him relax. It's cool. It's therapeutic, though. You know what I mean? Like, just go home and just do shoes and just be zoned out on that. About three years ago, Mike was in the process of picking up shoes to paint from a new customer when something really terrifying happened. So I pick my daughter up, we get home, I get a phone call. You know, somebody on the other end of the phone, like, I want to get some shoes done. I'm like, okay, you know, where you at? So they told me where they was at. 
My daughter was like, Daddy, I want to come. I'm like, come on. You know, we're about to go pick these shoes up. Whoa, whoa. We get downstairs. I get in the driver's seat. My daughter get in the passenger seat. She like, uh, Dad, I want to sit in the back seat. I'm like, why you want to sit in the back seat? She's like, I just do. I'm like, all right. So she jumped in the back seat. First off, what nine-year-old want to say they want to sit in the back seat after they just now getting allowed? So it positioned my daughter in the back seat of my car. So I go where I needed to go. And when I pull up to the stop sign, the street was kind of like crooked. So I like pulled up in the red zone, which was on the opposite side of the street. So I called, a, you know, I called the person who's like, you know, on my side. So they come out to kind of like make a long story kind of short. But anyway, they give me what they give me. Boom. Which was some shoes. Some shoes. Yeah. So the person like walked back across the street. And then when they when they get back across the street, I'm about to take off. And then somebody just jumped out shooting. Like, next thing I know, I'm just looking back. Like, I'm, I'm getting hit. What Wait, the? Were they were in front of you? Or, and now they drove up. Oh, they drove up next yeah, to you. Yeah, they drove. Like, my car was parked. So they drove up and then jumped out. Next thing I know, I'm looking back. I'm getting shot. I'm like, what the fuck? And all I see is flames, gun smoke, and just hear shots. So I'm getting hit. Like, I'm, I ain't know how many times I'm hit, where I'm hit at, or nothing. So they jump in the car. They drive off. My first mind is start your car up, but my arm was broke. You feel me? Because I hit, I hit three times in the arm, too. So my arm was broke. So I'm like, fuck. And the car I was in, it was a stick shift. So I'm like, I ain't going nowhere. My daughter bounced out. She opened the door for me. And at this time, like this finger right here almost got blew off. I ended up getting hit three times in the arm, two times in the chest. I got hit in the hand right here, the wrist, and this finger. So uh, my so daughter. Is that how many times is that total? It was like seven. Wow. So my daughter, like, opened the door. So I'm like, I'm trying to call my people like, man, I'm hit. Like, you feel me? So with my iPhone, if your hand's wet or something, I couldn't even open my fucking phone. So I'm like, fuck, like, you feel me? I'm like, but I didn't, the thing, I didn't panic. You feel me? I'm like, you know, I didn't panic. I'm like, I'm hit. I go to these little apartments across the street. You know, I'm like knocking. Well, I can't knock because my hands was fucked. So I'm like, you know, kicking on people's door. Motherfuckers ain't coming out for obvious reasons. You feel me? I don't expect nobody. So, and I'm like, I like walk walking back across the street. And I'm feeling hella faint. Like, I'm about to tap out. And I said this, I'm like, man, I'm about to die. Like, I'm about to tap out. Because, you know, I'm losing hella blood at this time. I didn't been through hella shit, but this is my first time ever getting shot. So I, like, sat down on the uh, on the concrete. So I, like, the bullets burning hella bad. So I, like, lay back. Like, lay back on the, like, lay back, like, on the ground. And I look up and I see my daughter. And I'm like, Fuck that, I ain't going out like this today. So I set up and then I just kind of like regroup myself. And I'm like, what a fucking ambulance that? And then the ambulance, and then some cool people over there, you feel me? They took my daughter in there, changed their shirt so they wouldn't see me on the ground. So they basically cut me off, cut my clothes and shit off, put me on the gurney and then took me to the hospital. Mike ended up spending eight days in the hospital. He had to get pins and fixators attached to both hands just to hold them together and he still got a bullet in his abdomen. Overall, his recovery took about a year, and it was excruciating. Physical therapy, that was many, man. Like, that was worse than getting shot, for real. For the first few weeks, like, I couldn't get myself a bath. I couldn't, you go to the bathroom. I couldn't do nothing by myself. I could barely, like, brush my teeth. But I was still doing my customs. Like, when I got out of the hospital, I still did a custom. Like, my arm, man, my arm was broken. It took me like an hour to do this kid custom, but I still did it. That's how dedicated I was to my craft. Surprisingly, 
Mike doesn't have nightmares about almost dying. It didn't make him depressed. He doesn't even think of it as a bad thing. Quite the opposite, actually. Getting shot was, it was probably like one of the best things that happened to me. Not saying getting shot is a good thing, but you know, what came from it, it was kind of like, you know, I guess worth the sacrifice or whatever. It's like situations that was going on in my life at the time. Not even that have nothing to do with me leading up to me getting shot, but some shit going on to where after me getting shot, it closed that door and opened up a new door to life. So it was like, this is a new chapter. You feel me? Like all that shit is just done with, door closed, locked. And you know, and it's, and it's a story that I can tell, you feel me? And it's just like, hopefully one day I can go around and just talk to youngsters, you know? And it's just like, it's other shit you can do and instead of just, you know, being on these streets. Have you been back to that area? Yeah, I've been back to that area. Like I rode by, actually I rode by like about a couple weeks ago. And like every time I ride by, I'm like, oh shit, I got shot right there. All over Oakland, there are places that remind Mike of death. This is the block where his friend got killed. This is the yard where his cousin died. This is the corner where he got shot seven times and almost bled out on the curb. But he's still so positive and he spends tons of time in Oakland. I asked him how he's not more bitter or scared. Say if you get some bad cologne for Christmas and you want to just wear it just because your wife bought it for you. You spray it on every day, even though it stink, after a while you're going to get immune to it. You know, it's just like, say if she bought you some old school Drake or you're like, I hate this shit. But your wife be like, babe, you like that? You be like, yeah. So you just spray it on and you're going to get immune to it to where... It's, it stink, it's a nasty, you know, and like just with violence and stuff, it's like it's a stinky situation, a nasty situation, but after a while you just get immune to it to where even if it's that bad to where it just become a norm and you don't really notice it because you just been around it so much. So that's kind of how it is for me. Mike's wife is from Oakland too, but she's from more of a middle class background. Neither Mike nor his wife wanted their daughter to live through the kinds of things that Mike went through as a kid, like seeing brains on the sidewalk. They decided a few years ago to start looking for a home in a relatively affordable area that would be a safer place to raise their daughter. The place they found is about 20, 25 miles outside of Oakland. As far as like going to another city, you know, it just happened, you feel me? Opportunity presented itself and it was a good opportunity. So, I, you know, I got on it. Mike is really proud of the life that he and his wife are able to provide for their daughter. My daughter don't know how good she got it because she don't know the struggle. My daughter never had to like worry about where next meal was gonna come from, worry about if she gonna get some school clothes, if she gonna get some shoes, you feel me? But that's a good thing. Moving was a pretty big change for Mike. I was so Oakland, like, man, I didn't, I didn't leave the Bay Area until I was 30. I went to L.A. for the first time when I was 37. Never been to L.A. in my whole life. I've been in the Bay, my, Vegas a couple times, but other than that, had never been out of California, never been nowhere until I was 37. So Oakland was all I knew. There's a lot of things that Mike appreciates about his new spot. It's peaceful. It's like a lot of wildlife, man. You feel me? Like a lot of fucking um, deers and it's cool, though. You know, like when I'm at home, like I can 
work in my garage and I can have my garage open without really, I mean, of course I still be on, but I can work in my garage to 10, 11, 12, 1, 2 in the morning and have my shit open and be like, don't really feel like, you know, I can just sit back and just do my shit. You feel me? To where if I was in Oakland, wouldn't be sitting in there with no garage open working. Not that I'm scared is that because I'm not done. I asked Mike what he thinks about all the changes happening in Oakland now. He said that with all this big money rolling in, some of it better find its way to the kids that need it most. Otherwise, the outcome won't be good for anybody. A lot of these cats that hang out, they don't hang out because they got a gun or they got um, something to sell on them. A lot of these youngsters hanging out because they don't have nowhere to go. And I'm not saying nowhere to go like when you get out of school, there ain't no after-school programs available. I'm talking about nowhere to go because they don't have nowhere to go. Like, they don't have no house to go to. You know, for whatever reason, if it's their mom on drugs or they just don't want to be at home or they can't be at home or their house is overcrowded. So they came out in the hoods, they hang out in the neighborhoods, they hang out on the blocks, you feel me? A lot of these youngsters out here that you ride by and see, they ain't got no pistol on them. They ain't got no money in their pocket. Uh, you know, like a lot of them just be out here just, that's their family, you feel me? They hood, they block is their family, you know what I mean? So they just out here. And then some shit happened, and then you out here, you hungry, your stomach touching your back. you like, I'm hungry. Like, I ain't got no money. Like, I'm about to go hit this lick. You feel me? I'm about to go bip this car. Or like, I'm about to go run up in this house. I'm about to rob this dude in the store. This gentrification is here. You got these Caucasians. You got these agents out here. They out here. They got this gold chain on. I'm going to snatch this chain, and I'm going to run. I'm going to cut. It's a lot of, you know, it's, it's a lot of that. You know what I mean? As far as Mike's future, he's feeling pretty optimistic about it. He's just going to keep cooking meals for his daughter and coming up with more creative ideas for his custom shoes and living the life that he considers himself lucky to have. Everybody struggle, but it's just good to be able to just wake up and just be like, I'm good. Especially where I came from back in the days to now, I can look back and be like, man, I remember when I was had to sleep in the living in motels and walking around my mama trying to see where our next meal was going to come from, you feel me? So it's a, it's all a blessing, you know, like all the years of sacrifice, and me taking care of my brothers and sisters when my mama died and looking out for everybody else. And it's finally like my time, you feel me, to enjoy life and do what I need to do, you feel me? Just like, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of East Bay Yesterday. I've been your host, Liam O'Donoghue. I'm going to be sharing some photos related to this story, so make sure you follow East Bay Yesterday on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I also share a lot of other local history-related news. You can find all the links at eastbayyesterday.com. Huge shout-out to Mike for talking with me. If you're interested in getting some shoes done, hit him up. You can follow them on Instagram here. My business Instagram is Magic Mike Customs. My original Instagram is Real Oakland Nigga with an underscore at the end. And speaking of social media, if you enjoyed this episode, please do me a huge favor and share it. I don't have any marketing budget, so the only way that this show will reach more people is if you help spread the word. Tag me if you do. I'd really appreciate it. Okay, you can subscribe to East Bay Yesterday on pretty much all the major podcast apps. Music for this episode came from Tab and Anatech, Invisible Sound, TTK, and Chris Zabriskie. The theme song music came from Anatech.
Thanks again for listening. I'll be back soon with more episodes of East Bay Yesterday.